The title of the message is Love is a Community Project. Kind of sounds like Hillary Clinton right there. Okay, but uh, it's not meant to be. Love is a Community Project. You know, I think we've all been kind of taken back at times when we hear what the answer is. You know, it's like, have you ever seen like one of these precious elders, you know, people that have lived into their hundreds of years, like, you know, a woman, a great, 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 great grandmother's like 108 years of age or something, and she's being interviewed. And of course, she's one of those, you know, longest living individuals on planet Earth. And, and they interview her and they're asking, you know, you know, what's the key to longevity and health and happiness and stuff? And, and everybody's just waiting for the answer with bated breath. Okay, golly, what is she gonna say? And she says something like this, well, in the morning, and everybody's thinking, in the morning, oh, in the morning, she probably meditates or thinks peaceful thoughts or, or you know, pets her dog or something like that. And she ends up saying, in the morning, I eat bacon. You know, I have a strip of bacon. And we're thinking, bacon, bacon, well, bacon is... I mean, that's kind of fatty and stuff. And, and you're thinking, okay, well, write that down. Bacon, you know? And Well, Martha, how long you've been eating bacon? Since I was five years of age. I have a strip of bacon every morning raw. You're thinking, well, my goodness. And then it's like, what next? Well, um, you know, I have a few shots. And then you're thinking, oh, oh, like shots, B12 shots. Oh, that's a good thing. No, shots of whiskey, she says, you know? And you're like, oh, my goodness. I just made up that story, but you know, you kind of get the idea. Sometimes you're kind of surprised by the answer. I think we've all experienced it. Here's why I mentioned this, because you guys, as we begin chapter four, the answer or the application that Paul underscores may surprise you. And you might be tempted to think, I don't know. I mean, is there real weight to this? I mean, how significant is this application, this answer. Let me set this up. We talked about it last week. I'll make it quick. Look, up to chapter four, there's been kind of this drum roll that has been building in momentum as to what faith actually looks like in action. You say, what are you talking about? Well, the first three chapters actually identify the greatest realities in life. Paul is communicating to us the highest information, the greatest realities of all, who God is. It's like, there's no way I even know who he is unless he reveals himself to us. So he's really talking about very incredibly divine realities. God revealed himself. He's eternal. He's always been. He created everything out of nothing. Okay, now if you pause right there, you think, okay, well, I mean, obviously there was a big bang. The question becomes, who or what was behind it? The Bible makes it very clear that you have the eternal one, the, uh, the almighty who's always been, no one created him. He's behind it, right? Okay, and, and what kind of person is he? Does he just like create everything and back off? Well, no, not at all. It's like he was very intentional. The, the Bible says he had a plan in mind, the eternal one. He created everything out of nothing, had a plan in his heart since the beginning. This is what Paul was teaching in chapter one. It could be summarized that the father thought this plan. Jesus came to buy this plan. Jesus bought it. The Holy Spirit brought it. A plan? What's the plan? A plan of having relationship with the father in Christ. And it really is a love rescue. 
from making created things in life, like money, family, job, our identity, which just majorly is living an illusion. Because, I mean, money's money. Money is, is, well, you can make it your God, but it's gonna treat you really bad. It will abandon you. It's like, it, this is a love rescue. This is a love rescue. Deep down inside, we all have a longing to worship. We all have a longing deep down inside to know what's true and what the purpose of our life is. So the question becomes, how do we discover those things and experience those things? Well, it's like God made us to know him. If we put money or a job, I mean, those things are good, but they're not, they're not God. <laughs> Family's good, but it's not the eternal one. If we make created things our like identity, our um, a God alternative, it leads to a major illusion which leads us majorly disillusioned. It's a plan of healing, really. It's a plan of shalom, to stop the deterioration, to stop the decay, to stop the breakdown, to stop the deterioration, the breakdown, the destruction of families and nations throughout the world. And that's what he's been talking about in chapter one, two, and three. And he's talking about this incredible peace plan. God has a peace plan. He does. It begins at the cross. It begins with right relationship with God. If one doesn't have a right relation with God, everything gets thrown off on the horizontal plane. So, how many of you are tracking so far? Just raise your hand. Okay, so you got this drum roll. Okay, all of this incredible insight, who God is, this incredible revelation, this plan in Christ. So you got then this drum roll then to what that looks like in application ultimately. And it's not until chapter four that he begins to address that. It's like, you know, God eternally loves you. He chose you to be in his son. He's not gonna force his love on you. On you. He wants relationship with you. There is an answer to life, to the breakdown, to the disintegration, all these different things. Okay, awesome. So then what does this look like in my life? Okay, are you ready? Please go back to verse one. Here's the first application. Hey, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all, what's the next word? Loneliness. What? You mean the application is that I shouldn't cross the Atlantic and just pioneer some new work or the, the Pacific or become the President of the United States? Or, I don't know, build a big business and, get, and help people with a bunch of jobs? I mean, all of those things are important. I mean, here's the thing. The, the first application is what is Loneliness, here's the thing. It's not even a term in Greek or Latin. A lot of Bible scholars believe Paul is making up this term. I love that because I make up terms too. And, and it basically means a selflessness, an others-orientedness. This, this lowliness or humility is actually the soul of love. And it's like, well, I mean, why would he even try to make up a term loneliness? I'm absolutely convinced. It's, it's totally spearheaded by the fact that he came to recognize the most incredible demonstration of love in the person of Almighty God, becoming a man who became really, really lowly. 
who'd like embodied this, I am so concerned for you and I'm gonna do the right thing because it's right and because it's redemptive and because kindness is good and virtue is good and mercy is good and sacrifice is good. And it's like, man, that's, the, that's, that's Jesus. That's God becoming a man. And my personal opinion, I might be wrong, but Paul's like, man, how do you capture that idea? Well, I'm telling you, first application of being a Christian, like lowly. Selfless. Now I ask, does that surprise you? Probably. Does that floor you in insight and inspiration? Probably not. But I predict that as we unpack it, it's going to blow you away. And and here's the big idea in context, okay? We're going to look at it kind of from a bird's eye view and then get down in in a real specific way. Here's the big idea, okay? Christians, this is kind of what he's saying, are interconnected and they're interdependent. And think about this in the first century. You've got a Jew over here that has long hair on the side, and he has prayer tassels, and he looks like a Jew. And you've got over here, you've got the Greek who's in their toga things. I don't know what they look like. You know, and cool hair, you know. And, uh, and they're walking around carrying a book on Plato or something. You've got a very interesting dichotomy going on. But now in Christ, oh, now you guys, you've got this interconnectedness. You've got this interdependence, actually. And every believer here is actually interconnected connected and interdependent. That's what the Bible says. And therefore, what he's saying is you have to work hard. You have to work hard at interpersonal relationships to love each other. And that whole process is how the Lord actually grows you and me and all of us in becoming more like Christ. But love is not easy. And then the bigger picture is this unity is to continue. We're to move forward on the same track together, being taught the word of God like we're doing this morning, growing in the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and in relationship with Christ. So here's the, big, here's the, like the first big point uh, that we're going to put up on the screen. If you guys are home groups, you've got to fill this in and stuff. But you guys, all of us, are called, we're all called, okay, to work hard to love. Fellow Christians, not only because they will benefit by such love and grace, but because it's also God's way to grow you, to grow us, to be, here's the objective, to be more like, everybody say that last word, Christ. That's what the Heavenly Father is after. He's, he's after transforming you to be more like the Lord Jesus. And note here that lowliness, gentleness, just check this out, lowliness, gentle, kind of carries the idea of being mellow. Okay, long suffering. I mean, just think of the word suffer. I mean, you don't even like the word, neither do I. I mean, who likes to suffer, right? L- then you add long suffering. It's like, wee! You know, it's like, wait a second. This, is, this has so much to do, actually, with what love actually looks like. I think it's interesting. Please hear me. <laughs> Okay? He doesn't say, hey, walk worthy of your calling as a Christian. I mean, the plan of God is awesome in Christ. Okay, walk worthy of it. Walk in euphoria and walk in ease and comfort and convenience. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. Um, I mean, is love euphoric at times? Yes, but not this love. Not the love that he's talking about. And it raises the question, I mean, what is love? I mean, how many of you remember the Beatles sang that song, All You Need Is Love? Remember that? Dun, 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 dun. 
All you need is love. I should stop right now. Anyways, all, all right. So you remember that song? Okay, this is the last time I asked you. How many of you remember that song out of curiosity? Oh my goodness, that's most of you. Good, awesome. Yeah. I'm still bitter that after they sang that song, they broke up. You know what I mean? So it's like, what love were they talking about? It doesn't read, walk worthy of your calling and euphoria, ease, comfort, happiness. It's like, walk worthy of your calling when it comes actually to love and loving one another. And of course, here's the thing. We only have one word for love in the English language. So we would say, well, you know, I love the meal and I love my dog and I love my wife and all these different things. But obviously we're not talking same type of love. In the Greek, there's four different terms. There's family love, storge, that's an awesome love. There's phileo, brotherly love, that is a great love. In fact, you really need that love before you get married with the person you're considering marrying. You need to be best of friends. Then there's eros. We get our word erotic. That's physical love. That's important love, obviously, under the umbrella of marriage. And then here's the highest form of love that's being talked about here for which we are to exemplify, which is worthy of our calling, which is agape. Please hear me. This love is like embodies, just pulsates. I'm concerned for you and your highest good. It's others-oriented. It embodies kindness and mercy and patience. It's just like, it's, it's a selflessness. It, it's the highest virtue. And when it is being demonstrated, it always glorifies God. Let me, let me take you on a little personal journey, okay? Let me take you to the DMV. Because... <laughs> A couple of years ago, Stephanie and I went to the DMV, one of my most favorite places to go on planet Earth, right? Now, here's the thing. We went to the DMV to deal with a matter, but, we, but, I, but it ended up becoming about the issue of love, actually. So let me just take you on this journey. Stephanie and I were at the counter of the local DMV working through a payment, and the DMV was really gracious and understanding uh, we had this issue that we were dealing with. I can't remember the facts and stuff. Um, but, we, but, but they helped us kind of work through, you know, paying this payment and stuff. And, and I ended up saying to the lady, I said, you know, I just want to thank you so much for understanding this and, and really working with us. We really appreciate it. Because it was like one of those things you're just hoping they have a little bit of mercy and things. And as, as we are ex- expressing, <laughs> as we were expressing, you know, um, appreciation and kindness and love and things like that. The, the lady that was working behind the corner, the, the counter, w- wasn't even acknowledging us. And, and it was just, and, you know, I was, I, was, I was unsure maybe that did she hear me and stuff. And, um, and you know, it was packed and people are behind you and, and, you know, you're kind of in this public place talking, you know, to this person behind the counter and just, hey, look, I just want to thank you for your understanding. I really, really appreciate what you've done to, you know, kind of help us with this payment and so forth and so on. And at the end, I said it again, I want to thank you. And it's like, she, it's like I didn't even exist. You know, she didn't even acknowledge me and things like that. Um, and maybe you're thinking, Greg, poor baby, you know. So anyways, so I go and I get in the car and... 
I kind of felt like, I'm just sitting there going, that was kind of, I kind of was caught between, that was embarrassing a little bit, to be frank with you, because it was so weak. It was like, are you hearing me? I mean, thank you. It's just like, she's no, not even listening, it's apparently, or not, no response. And, and I kind of felt myself between being embarrassed and humiliated, you know? And I just thought this was, that was weird and kind of rude. And what followed was a dialogue in my head. So I'm going to let you go inside my head. Now, this is dangerous ground right now, but I'm going to let you go inside. And I'm thinking to myself, Greg, um, you're kind of irritated, you know? But, but why did you say what you did in the first place? And I'm thinking, I, I told her, thank you. And I so much appreciate your help and your understanding because it was the right thing to do. It was just right to do. So, because you didn't get rewarded for it, you're embarrassed and you feel a little humiliated. Yeah. And you're wondering, you know, gee, should I do the right thing the next time? Because, you know, maybe it's not going to be acknowledged. Is it really worth to do the right thing? And that's kind of what I'm thinking. And isn't, and then the idea was kind of like, hey, isn't doing the right thing bigger and more important in value than whether you get rewarded for doing it? And I was just thinking, yeah, you know, and I was kind of working through this process. And then the ideas were like, hey, Greg, um, I'm so glad you worked through this because I'm saving you a lot of trouble. Why? Because I know you. And you were about ready to get out of the car and go find her manager, you know, and just go, hey, you know what? <laughs> That's what you know. I, I came in here embodied love and gratefulness and thankfulness and appreciation. It wasn't acknowledged. So doggone it, I want to take it back. You know, it's like, wait a second. That's not love. See, there's some things in life that are always good. They're always right. They always glorify God. They're always redemptive and healing. It, it's like the secret, you guys. It's the secret. You know what it is? It's love. And here's what you have to understand about love, okay? This is kind of a sub-point. Love, we have it up on the screen. Love loves as an end to itself because it's always good, because it always glorifies God. I mean, love loves for the sake of mercy. Love loves for the sake of patience. Love loves for the sake of virtue and goodness. You see, here, look, the alternative is this. That love becomes a means to a personal end. And now we're looking at people to, well, we're looking at people to, as a consumer, like, like a Coke machine. Like if you put a dollar fifty in a Coke machine and you're going to get something out of it. And, 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 you know, it's like if you put a dollar fifty in a Coke machine, you didn't get anything out of it. You would say, well, I'm not going to use that Coke machine anymore. But people are not Coke machines. And it's like, you know, the thing is, is that I, I am to put, and this, this is always good, it's always right, always glorifies God, and it's working out my calling to his glory, okay? The, the buck 50 of love is always worth putting in, no matter if you get anything back or not. Can I hear an amen to that? See, that's, that's this love here. And here are some brain teaser questions. Is there such a thing as doing what is good because it is good? And because doing good is good enough as an end in itself rather than conditioned upon being an end to a personal agenda. 
Because see, the thing is what I work through in my car, you know, and I don't know if anybody could relate to my little spiel at the DMV, but what I had to kind of work through was, you know, it was like the right thing to value and to love and, and just do it because it is good in and of itself, period. Otherwise, we're all just a bunch of consumers and I just do what I do motivated by what I can get out of it. Hey, isn't there such a thing as loving others motivated solely by the fact that it glorifies God as an end in and of itself? And because love is the highest virtue which never fails in being good and redemptive, whether it's responded to or not. So here's the second point. Love is patient. That's what he's saying. And suffers long, which means it's not reactive when there's relational adversity. You see, Ephesians 4.2 says, look, you guys, you're interdependent, you're interrelated with one another. Okay, big application. What's the secret? What's the answer? Loneliness, selflessness. Be gentle with one another. Hey, the implication is there's a lot of moving parts to life. I mean, in a family, there's inevitably, there's tension and conflict within a home family, you know, a biological family, right? And, and inevitably within a church family as well, inevitably in life. In fact, our first point last week is conflict is inevitable. Guarantee it. It's just going to happen. Okay, and the thing is, is that it's a potential carrier of disease if you don't respond to it correctly. So like, okay, and so what's the right response? The right response is actually love. Okay, well, what is love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love suffers long and is kind. Love is patient, suffers long, which means, watch this, in interpersonal relationships, love is not reactive. It's like, hey, if I'm out of my comfort zone and I don't understand what you're communicating here or you cut me off on the freeway or whatever the case is, it's like, or this person at the DMV didn't stroke me for being nice and kind to this person. Love is not reactive. Love is, love retreats actually in that adversity. And then we're gonna get to this a little bit and advances in kindness. This tells us that love obviously is not always sensual and it's not always euphoric. And it's not always happy, happy, happy. But that love actually feels adversity and pain. So if you're ever like, whoa, man, you know, I wasn't sure I really heard that. That really kind of irritates me. You know, but maybe I don't see the whole picture. So I'm just going to retreat in patience here in this relationship, which is a good thing to do. You're not recoiling, actually. It's like, I don't even care. We're going to make that distinction a little bit later. But I retreat rather than react in anger. Because it's like the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If I kind of retreat in patience, oh, that, that's, that, that, and feel out of my comfort zone, and this is really difficult, guess what? That's love. It's true. Let me ask you. Do you like pain? <laughs> no one does. Do you like conflict and adversity and relationships? No one does. What is the likelihood that you will experience pain? Like, have you ever made that? It's such a pain. <laughs> you know, it's such a pain, right? What's the likelihood that you would experience pain when you choose to be around people? It's inevitable. Is there a temptation then to avoid people, to isolate yourself? 
Absolutely. It's one of the biggest mistakes in life that the Lord actually wants you to avoid. And this brings perspective to the broader context of this passage. The work of God in your life is a community project, which means, by nature, it's highly relational, which means it will inevitably involve adversity, tension, moving parts, bumping into each other. So, it is at this place that there's this monster teaching moment because the natural response to pain in interpersonal relationships is to react. That's the natural. Oh, man, I don't like that. Who likes, who likes pain? You know, if something flies up in your eye, you're like, whoa, you react to it, right? So when there's pain or adversity or tension in relationships, here's the natural response. Can you relate to this? You react, then you recoil, and then you self-protect. Okay? Now, I didn't ask, I, didn't, I said I wasn't going to have people raise their hand anymore. I'm so tempted to ask if you can relate to that, but I, I said I wasn't going to do it. Okay, but can you relate to that? Yes or no? Tell me. Okay, well, God bless. There's my father-in-law in the front row. God bless you, Ed. That's right. I think we all can, right? All right. So the natural response to pain, interpersonal relationship, react, recoil, self-protect, it's, if, now here's the thing, if that's not corrected, it starts a downward spiral, that results in actually my heart getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It becomes stunted, actually. If I don't respond to pain correctly, I, I, my whole life gets smaller and smaller by the morphing realities of ignorance and fear and bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and therefore, what love looks like, and this is the third point, I, I, I kind of look into myself, but love actually retreats in patience. And then it advances in kindness. And that juncture right there becomes the greatest teacher, the greatest opportunity to become more like Christ. Because the fourth idea is this. (laughs) It's between the retreat and the advance is where you'll grow. You learn about others. Whoa, I don't think they were intending to be malicious. You learn about yourself. Whoa, you know what? I am, boy, I have conditioned myself to be reactive. The problem with that is, is like I lose my ears, so to speak. I don't end up understanding what's really going on. It's like, remember last week's message? Is like, I know it was really weird, like, but we got to have big, big ears, you know? <laughs> In relationships, it's really important. Small mouth, really big ears, and when I retreat in a verse like, whoa, what is this? You know, retreat in patience, I, I begin to, well, that's, there's some misunderstanding. Oh, you know, that's an ethnic issue. Oh, you know what? That's, oh, there's some differences between male and female. I, I, I didn't know there was such unique differences and stuff, which is wonderful and how God made us and stuff. And oh, you know what? I, I think they're in pain. I mean, maybe that DMV gal was just flat out in pain. I mean, seriously, maybe she lost a loved one that morning. Hey, it's possible. She's in a whole other world. She doesn't have any strength but to push the buttons and just like deal with the thing and not like get personal with me or something. But you know what? If I react, I'll never know, will I? And I'll never grow. I'll never become like the Lord. The alternative is that I condition myself to freak out, react to pain and adversity which undermines growth and lasting relationships. 
Remember, God's design for growth is a community project. Think of how the Lord gathered 12 men up close and personal. I mean, very intentional, of course, to mentor, to teach. He had a purpose for their lives as he does for all of us. But it involved the community. And he loved them, and he fought for them, and he interceded for them, and he worked through, you know, their blind spots and kept fighting and all that stuff. And keep in mind that he's called the captain of our salvation. And in this context, what I'm trying to say is like he's kind of been there and done that, and he knows about all kind of the relational dynamics and what's the humanity of humanity and stuff, and the tensions and the ignorances and the blind spots. And he's kind of worked through all of them. I mean, think about the original 12. One of them ended up betraying him. Now, had he never actually chose those 12 and and, and reached out to Judas, he would never have been been betrayed, right? So he could have just isolated himself and just kind of gone around as, as, you know, without involving himself with humans, but he didn't, of course. He, He involved himself with others, okay? So he experienced betrayal. Betrayal is an intentional wounding, rarely are we betrayed in life. There's a lot of other reasons why there'd be tension or pain in a relationship outside of betrayal, but betrayal takes place, there's no doubt about it. And it's horrible and it's just so wrong. And it's painful, isn't it? And the Lord knows such pain. Peter, on the other hand, didn't betray Jesus, he failed Jesus under pressure and fear. And he's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It's like, oh, I don't know him. Oh, Pete. The high priests of Jerusalem manipulated a process to have Jesus crucified. High priests were the most corrupt people in Israel. Mafioso bosses. Remember what Jesus said when he cleansed the temple? You know, this is to be a house of prayer. My father's house, you have made it a den of, can someone tell me? Thieves, in other words, this temple mount. You got all these priests here, man, just ripping people off. They come and hide here like thieves hide in a den and things. The Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, chose expediency over what was right. He's just like, oh man. I know this guy's innocent, but this is a big headache. Hmm. So while the pain, while the pain of the, the, the nails of the cross were being driven into our Lord's hand, accompanied with the pain of the betrayal and the pain of failure, the pain of manipulation, the pain of injustice, rather than reacting, recoiling, and turning inward in self-protection. Just hear me. It's like, there's a critical point. He just like boldly, boldly took a stand on love. Remember what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and, and listen, in principle, a lot of tension in relationships is just flat out a form of ignorance. It's misinformation. It, it's a lack of growth on, on one party or both parties. And, and what is Jesus doing there when he's like, Father, forgive them? Man, they have no idea what they are doing. I mean, he's doing Ephesians 4 2. That's what he's doing, lowly, gentle, long-suffering, 
And such love became the redemption of the world. It was like Jesus is the penicillin. And now he's handed it off to us to make a difference in our own homes, in our church family, in this generation. And what does this tell us? Pain will either result in recoiling, in self-protection, running the risk of your heart increasingly becoming smaller, smothered by fear and bitterness and unforgiveness. That's not freedom, that's bondage. What ends up happening is a lot of people, when they experience tension, who likes pain? None of us like it. None of us like adversity. None of us like have to work through things, right? I mean, that's, that's not a pleasurable experience, but that's love. And so what ends up people doing is they have adversity and then they try to reinvent themselves. They hit a ceiling. It's like, okay, I got to change this relationship. I got to change the location. I am out of here. That, that's not love. The problem is that person, what they need to do is repent and return to the Lord and allow the Lord to grow them more like him, which is so possible, particularly in adversity. Or the pain will result in taking the bold stand of lowliness. You know what? I'm just going to be, I'm going to do this because it's right in and of itself. Because love never fails, it's eternal. It's always good, it's always good, it's always good. So I'm gonna go like, others-oriented, be gentle, long-suffering, freed from the smothering of fear, bitterness, unforgiveness, becoming more Christ-like. Again, context. The work of God in your life is a community project that we all need to commit to. There's so much at stake. Your own growth in becoming more like Christ, which is Freedom which is victory. I mean, for him to be like, think of, the, think of the pain he's experiencing. Ignorance, injustice, misinformation. It's like one of the disciples are there. Where's Pete? Where's the rest of them? Whoa, abandonment. I mean, he's like, okay. It's like experiencing it all. So much at stake your own growth and becoming more like the Lord, the growth of other believers, plus the church impacting the world in Jesus' name. The opposite of all of this, please hear this, is isolation. And isolation, like disconnecting from the Lord or disconnecting from others or disconnecting from family or disconnecting from relationship, disconnecting you know, from church family is, is in principle not... Walking worthy of the calling. And and isolation, please hear me, isolation is not your friend. If you isolate yourself from others, and yeah, the church family, I know this sounds really heavy and stuff, it's so true. Your own heart will deceive you. A lot of people live their lives like, like they make up the answer as they go. You know, if you ask someone, you know, who do you think God is? A lot of people will give you some answer, but it's really somewhat, well, um, something, some fragment they've heard. They've never really thought it through. It's true. Never really, really thought it through. A lot of people go through life kind of feeling their way with their lives, with their relationships, with their spouses, with their family, with their children. Oy vey. 
Drawing from what? The fumes of pain and ignorance and poor leadership or modeling from their own family or something? No, man, we, we, it's like we need the Lord and we need each other because that's the way he grows us and we become more like him. Can I hear an amen to that? Super important. Isolation is not your friend. It basically says I'm stronger than I am or I am more mature than I really am, or I believe that I can live outside of God's intended means of growth and be okay. No, no, that's, that's not, seriously, that is not your friend in any way, shape, or form. Hey, good job for being here, you guys, because we need each other. And, and actually, a part of this passage, we'll get to this next week, seriously, part of this passage is, okay, work on like loving each other, keep Unity of peace with each other, interpersonally, long suffer. The Lord will use it to grow you, be a blessing to other people. But then also, we'll talk about this next week. Also, walk together, same track, being taught the word of God, like we're doing this morning here, with a threefold objective. Unity of faith, growing in the awesome knowledge of the Lord, and becoming more like the Lord. And because of that, you guys, I want to encourage you as your pastor, man, don't miss church. Seriously, don't. No, don't. So if you're sick, okay, I'll give you a pass. But if, but if you're not and you're in town, man, get to church. Every Christian should be at church, you know, on a weekly basis. They should make it a priority. And if you're out of town, make sure you go to church. Don't isolate very important. Look, if you think about it, the core problem with the world is isolation. It's the isolation that sin causes in our life. It's the isolation that fear causes in our life. It's the isolation that pain causes in our life. It's the isolation and disconnect at the core level with the Heavenly Father. And it could be said, there's been enough isolation. There's been enough. Because when Jesus was on the cross, when he hung, bled, and gave his life for us, he experienced the isolation of all of those things for us. And when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou, can someone tell me, forsaken me? Which is a quoting an Old Testament passage, Psalm 22. It was prophetic, identifying what was taking place on the cross. He wasn't losing his mind. He's like a good rabbi. He's asking a question. So, so why, why am I being isolated? Why am I just the brunt of sin on me? Why? Why? My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I was like, he knew the answer. He just wants all of us to know the answer. The answer, he was forsaken so that you and I wouldn't be. So that we would not like just be smothered by the, 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 the horrors of, of isolation. Isolation from God, the isolation that pain brings, ignorance brings, guilt brings, shame brings, brokenness brings. Doggone, he said, enough's enough. <laughs> enough's enough. So let me, I'm speaking in principle on behalf of the Lord here, let me continue my work of healing in your life. Walk worthy of this calling. Walk in lowliness, gentleness, 
long, everybody say it, suffering. Retreat, oh man, what's going on there? Rather than react. And it's between that retreat and the advance to kindness is the greatest learning curve in our life.